Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you've got a Bible, let's open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I will pray for us while you turn there. Father God, would you fill all of us full of the Holy Spirit to listen well right now, to learn. Uh, We want to be changed by your word. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. Would you fill me full of the Holy Spirit to teach well, to explain this well. Help me to say every single thing uh, just the way you want me to in the way that will be the most helpful, the most clear, the most powerful. Nothing more, nothing less than you, what you would have me say. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about the idea of making decisions as a Christian. And, and some of this, even if you're not a Christian, if you're here investigating Christianity, some of these principles, I think, will help you as well. And for the most part, I think these could help you in any decision. But think more about the big and really consequential decisions you make in your life. If you came on this retreat and you forgot to bring some toothpaste, and so you go swing by CVS afterwards, and you're like, should I get Crest or Colgate? You probably don't need to spend an hour praying about it. Just choose one, okay? But when it comes to a bigger decision, like maybe choosing who you're going to marry the rest of your life, these principles will probably be a lot more helpful than something like that. So the first principle would be this. There's biblical commands. There's biblical commandments. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, or you could put the woman of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So when you read the Bible, it's going to make you into the kind of person, equip you to do good works. And there are some places in the Bible where there's just a clear command. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not steal. So if you go to CVS to buy your toothpaste and you realize, I didn't bring my phone, I didn't bring my debit card, I didn't have any cash, it's not that big of a deal, I'll just steal it. You don't have to pray about, God, should I steal this Colgate or not? My breath really smells bad, my roommates are already mad. You don't have to pray about it. God said in the Bible, thou shalt not steal. Obey the clear commands of Scripture and that will help you in a lot of things. Okay, first principle. The second thing would be biblical principles. Biblical principles. And there's a subtle difference here. Um, And listen, we're going to flip to a lot of different scriptures. So if you grew up Baptist doing sword drills and things like that, and you know how to flip around scripture, come on in, guys. A few more seats in the middle. Uh, Feel free to flip. If you're not good at finding places in the Bible, just jot it down. Go back and look at it later. Okay, but James chapter 4, verse 17 says this. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, here's the point. There are going to be some things that you read and study in the Bible, and there's a principle that's trying to make a point, but it doesn't come right out and command you, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this. But you have to use the brain God's given you to interpret the Scripture and apply it. And I'll give you an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Listen to this verse, and, and see if you've ever even heard this verse before. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, has anybody ever even heard that verse before? I want to see your hands. Show of hands. Okay. All right. A lot of you. 
How many of you have ever heard somebody teach on that verse? Like, see, show hands. All right, got a couple. What was the practical application? This is the, this, y'all give me. I'm asking you a question, you give me an answer. When you heard somebody teach on this specific verse and they got to the practical application, what was the practical application they made from this verse? Marriage. Marriage. A Christian shouldn't marry a non-Christian. But it doesn't exactly say that, does it? They're, they're making an interpretation. They're making an application. They're drawing out the biblical principle, and I think rightly so. I've taught it that way before, and let me show you one of the ways you do this. Flip just to the left just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Paul, same guy writing the letter, and he says this. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So you see what Paul is saying is, you got a woman, she's married, but her husband dies. If she wants to get remarried, that's fine. She can marry whoever she wants as long as they're a Christian. You see that? So you take that verse and you say, well, I've never been married. What about me? I'm saying the principle applies. And so you have to glean the biblical principle and then learn to apply it to your life. There's this old document that a bunch of English preachers put together about 400 years ago called the Westminster Confession of Faith. All right, And they said this, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that you really need to know to live a good life, it's either written in the Bible or if you study the Bible and you think hard enough, you can figure it out. All right? Point three. Transformation. Or you might say renewal. And if you're in 1 Corinthians, just flip back one book to the left. Romans, Romans chapter 12, it's a very famous verse. Some of you probably heard this one before. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, guys, part. here's one way that you could listen to this seminar and take it and apply it in your life. You could take good notes, follow the outline, write it down, and the next time you have a big decision to make, you can kind of walk through the outline, look at the verses, think about it, pray about it, and then in light of that, make the decision. And that's, that's a good application. That's a good application. That's not bad. But it's not the best application. The best application is you just start reading and studying the Bible all the time, every day, even when you don't have any big decisions. So that at some point, you are just getting, your, your brain is becoming filled with Scripture. So that you just think naturally about Scripture. The spiritual taste buds of your heart just start to naturally love what God loves and hate what God hates. So when you're faced with decisions, you don't have to think about it that hard. It's just naturally what you choose to do. I mean, did you hear the testimony that Brian was giving from the stage this morning about loving that lesbian couple? He never in there said, I had to have like this big crisis of studying the scripture and praying. It's just like, I think this is what God wants us to do. Because he's a man who's immersed his life in the scripture and God has made him not perfect, but a lot like Jesus. And so he just knows how to respond in situations naturally the way Jesus would respond if he was in that situation. Does that make sense? This good biblical decision making shouldn't be so much of a crisis as it is just a way of life. I've been walking with Jesus and my mind is slowly but surely being conformed to the way Jesus thinks. Okay? Think of that. So many decisions that we make are split second decisions, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. How are you going to respond? Cuss them out or say, 
God, have mercy on them. I do the same thing sometimes. Before you even think the decision is made. And so that's why it's important to be immersing yourself every day in the Scripture so that God can be transforming you and really giving you His sense of discernment. Okay? Um, if you go on a diet, this happened to me at one point. I used to love to eat fried chicken. Okay? But I was like, i got to lose some weight. So I was like, I'm going to quit eating fried chicken and I'm going to start eating grilled chicken. And you know what? At some point... And when I first started it, I didn't like grilled chicken. But I ate grilled chicken long enough, and you know what started to happen? I actually like grilled chicken. I went to a restaurant today. They said, the best thing we got on the menu is fried chicken. I'm kind of like, I don't like fried chicken anymore. I like grilled chicken. I'm not saying fried chicken is sinful. That's not the point. Here's what I'm saying. The more that you walk with Jesus, and you start to make yourself do the right things, the more naturally you'll start to want to do the right things. It'll be slow, but it will happen. Okay, so, guys, imagine this. Let me just give one illustration. Imagine if you were living with a roommate and it's like your best friend. Maybe even you're married, okay? You're in love with this person. There would be a sense in which if your roommate, spouse, whatever, best friend is a neat freak, you might start saying, you know what? I want to clean my room more just because I like this person, just because I want to honor this person, just because I want to please this person and make this person happy. That's what good biblical decision-making ought to look like. I'm in love with Jesus because He loved me, and so I'm trying to learn the things that make Him happy from His Word, and then I'm trying to choose those things and understand those things. So it just becomes more and more the natural pattern of my life. Okay, so um, there are so many decisions you're going to have to make. What do you watch on TV? What do you do on a Friday night? Who do you marry, right? I mean, we basically just looked at a couple of the commands about marriage. Okay, you got to marry a Christian. Biblically speaking, you've got to marry somebody of the opposite sex. Guess what? That narrows it down to about one billion people. There's one billion Christians of the opposite sex on planet Earth. It's like, thanks a lot. That really doesn't narrow it down that much. Your discernment is going to have to be honed for God to help you know who's the person you want to marry. Okay? So, you've got to have that transformation. The fourth point. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If any man, again, you could say woman, and if any person, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So here's the point. One of the best things you can do when you're struggling with a decision is pray. Ask God for wisdom. And guys, most of the time, you probably are not going to have some kind of supernatural experience. You're probably not going to hear an audible voice. You're probably not going to have a dream or a vision. But what will happen is God will work through the natural. God will guide the natural thinking processes of your mind to give you wisdom as you're applying all these things in praying. So prayer should be a big part of your decision making. The fifth thing would be this, counsel. Or you could say advice. Seeking good counsel. Getting good advice. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to look, go back to Proverbs, almost at the exact middle of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. And there's a lot of verses like this. I'm just going to read one for the sake of time. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. You want to be a mature, thriving Christian? Guys, one of the best things you can do is get a handful of people around you. Peers, friends, older, wiser people that love Jesus. They know the Word of God and they love you and they know your life story. And so then when you come up with a big, hard decision, you ask those people, what do you think I need to do? Guys, the main way that God speaks to His people is through the Bible. It's written down. Read it. Study it. Get to know it. The second way 
that God speaks to His people. It's not a still, quiet voice in your heart. I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm just saying that's not the main way. The second main way that God speaks to you is through other Christians. And if you have a couple of really good friends that love you and they know the Word of God, and a couple of mentors that love you and they know the Word of God, and you have a big decision and you ask all four of them, what do you think I should do? And they all four say the same thing? That's almost the voice of God speaking to you. You understand what I'm saying? Now again, a lot of times it won't even be that dramatic. It it could be you sitting right now in something that I say God could be using me to speak to you, to convict you, to encourage you, to direct you. So you need to live in good fellowship with people. And guys, don't do this. I had a guy in a discipleship group years ago. He starts dating a girl that just, I mean... Didn't seem like a Christian at best if she was a Christian, a baby Christian, not really growing. And like everybody's telling him, don't date this girl. And he's like, well, you know, but some people are telling me to date the girl. And I'm like, who are you talking about? He's like, well, I got this uncle, you know, and he lives in Portland and he was in town for Christmas and I was talking to her, and, you know, him about the girl. And he said, he thinks it sounds great. I'm like, is this guy even a Christian? I mean, when's the, guy you, when's the last time you had a conversation with his uncle? He's like, I don't know, probably five years ago, last time he visited for Christmas. Here's the point. He was just looking for somebody to tell him the answer that he wanted to hear. And we've all done that at some point, right? That's just a stupid way to make decisions. You need to have the friends and the mentors that love you enough to hurt you in the short run. That love you enough to tell you the hard truth that you don't want to hear, but later you're like, hey man, thank you. You ever had a friend like that? And I hate to just you know hammer the dating talk, but... It's just where so much of it plays out. You don't need to be dating that guy. He's mean. He's selfish. He doesn't care about you. He's playing you. No, we're in love. We're going to get married. You know, and six months later, you go back. You're like, thank you. I was a moron. I didn't listen. I wish I'd have listened sooner. Thank you. Cultivate friendships and mentors of people that love you enough that they'll say the hard truth to you. Hopefully they'll say it in a gentle way, but they'll still say the hard truth even when you don't want to hear it. Okay, So too many of us guys, we don't cultivate friendships like that. So point six would be this, surrender. Surrender, and if you're in Proverbs, just look at the next chapter. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, a lot of times we hear a verse like that, and the way that we interpret it is, God, here's my plans for my grad school and my career and what I'm going to do after I graduate, and Lord, I'm just praying, bless my plans. And that's what we mean by commit our way to the Lord. That's not the biblical understanding of committing your way to the Lord. The biblical understanding of committing your way to the Lord is this, God, I'm surrendered. I will do whatever you want me to do. You tell me where to go, and then I'll go there, and then you bless it. But a lot of times, guys, that's not the way we pray. That might be the words that we say out loud from our mouth, but what we mean in our heart is, hey, God, please show me whatever you want me to do. I really hope it's this direction. And if you show me, God, I'll evaluate it. And if it lines up with what I already want to do, uh, then I'll do it. But if you tell me to do the opposite of what I already want to do, I'll probably pretend like I wasn't listening. You understand? Listen, I see that going on in my heart far too often. And what I've seen in my own life and I've seen in a lot of people's lives is there's sometimes we're seeking wisdom about some decision. Like maybe, what am I going to do after I graduate? Grad school, career, something like that. But maybe there's some sin issue in our life. And it's almost like God is sitting on His throne in heaven saying, I love you. I know you really want wisdom about direction. What grad school to go to or whatever. And I'm going to give you that wisdom when you really need it. 
But you know what? you got some sin in your life that you're not really repenting of. And right now, I want you to deal with that first before I'm going to give you the wisdom you want. You understand what I'm saying? Character is more important than guidance. Surrender, a lot of times, has to come before the wisdom will be given. So make sure that as you're really wrestling in a decision, there's a sense of God. If you'll make it clear to me what you want me to do, I'll do anything. Just please make it clear. That's a good way to pray. And sometimes I pray that, guys, and I say, God, I probably didn't just mean what I said. I want to mean it. I want to be that surrendered. Right? But there's a little part of my heart in the back that's kind of holding back like, oh, don't ask me to give this up. Don't ask me to change this one area of my life. You got something like that in your life? And so sometimes what I say is this. I say, hey, God, take me at my word. Even if I just, what I said, you know everything. You know my heart that I really didn't mean it. I want you to make me mean it. Change me. Again, transformation. So, point seven, the desires. The desires of your heart. Okay? If you're in Proverbs, flip back one book to the left. The book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Another famous verse. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. A guy named St. Augustine, maybe the greatest Bible teacher ever, after the Bible was written, supposedly said this, Love God and do what you want to do. Now, guys, this is important. Notice that this point came point seven, not point one. When I'm doing all the other points, I'm reading the Bible, I'm studying it, I'm praying, I'm living in counsel, I'm trying to be surrendered. As I grow, what will really happen is the things that I want to do, not all the time, but more and more, those will be the things that God wants me to do. You're thinking about what you should do after you graduate? The main thing you ought to be thinking about if you're really a mature Christian walk with God is what do you want to do? What are you passionate about doing? Not just what will make you the most money. Money's a factor, shouldn't be the biggest factor. But guys, if you're at this conference and you're like, man, this is the best conference of my life. I love Jesus. The preaching's been great. The worship, I mean, stayed up with friends praying. I'm crying. I just feel so close to God. And then you're like, but man, I sat next to this girl this morning in this rally, and she was beautiful. And we started talking, and I think we're going to try to sneak back to the hotel later on and hook up. And that's what I really want to do. So I'm doing the desires of my heart. I love you. You're a moron. Okay? You, you can't use .7 to trump point one. Does that make sense? The desires of your heart always have to be submitted to the biblical mandates, the biblical principles, the biblical transformation that ought to be having. Because we're all still a mixed bag. Let me read you a couple of quotes from some great Bible teachers. A guy named Matthew Henry said this, He has not promised to gratify all the appetites of the body and the humors of the fancy, but to grant all the desires of the heart, all the cravings, of the renewed and sanctified soul. John Calvin, this does not imply that the godly immediately obtain whatever their fancy may suggest to them. These old guys like that word fancy. Nor would it be for their profit that God should grant them all their vain desires. The meaning simply is that if we stay our minds wholly upon God, instead of allowing our imaginations like others to roam after idle and frivolous fancies, all other things will be bestowed upon us in due season. This is kind of a side note, but only important. So much of the Christian life, guys, is a waiting game. God's going to give you the best stuff in life for you, 
But a lot of times, He's not going to give it to you as soon as you want it. It's about delayed gratification. And then Charles Spurgeon said, this is about our innermost desires, not our casual wishes. Point eight, think. If you have your Bibles, flip back to the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Paul writing to Timothy and he says this, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I mean, think about that. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, writing the Bible, it's inerrant, everything he writes is true. But then he says, hey, after you read what I wrote, you got to think about it. And as you think about it, God will give you insight. Here, God gave you a brain and he wants you to use it, guys. So some of this is just use the brain God gave you. Sometimes we think being spiritual means that you have to be like weird and ignore your brain. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm just going to go lay in a field and wait for God to like appear and give me a vision. And maybe if I find a four-leaf clover, that will mean something. (laughs) Guys, use the brain that God's given you to make smart, rational decisions. And the last thing, point nine, would be be led by the Holy Spirit. Be spirit-led. So I'm going to look at a couple of verses here. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is the Lord Jesus right before He was crucified talking to His disciples. John chapter 14. And He said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Everything you need to know to live a godly life, if you're applying these principles, will you know everything you want to know? No, God's not going to tell you what number will win the lottery. All right? But everything you need to know to live a godly life, the Holy Spirit will help you understand it. And look at chapter 16, John chapter 16, verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Now, there was a movie, had Michael Keaton in it. It's a little bit old. I think it had Nicole Kidman. Well, they're married. It's called My Life. Anybody ever even heard of this movie? All right, probably not. It wasn't even that great of a movie, all right? But here, you're going to get the plot in 30 seconds. And they're married. They find out she's pregnant. They're excited. And they find out the husband has cancer. He's going to die. Maybe before the baby's even born, they find out it's a boy. And this dad is like, no, but I want to be able to raise my son. I got all this stuff I want to teach him. I want to teach him how to, you know, shoot a jump shot. I want to teach him how to shake a hand with confidence. I want to teach him how to go into a job interview and all these things. And so the dad starts filming himself, making all these videos for his son. It's really kind of sad movie. I don't even know why I watched it. All right. I think it was actually an episode of The Office where Michael Scott was doing this for his dream son that he was never going to have. Here's the point. In some sense, Jesus has given us a record of His life. It's not a video. It's a book. It's all written down. And He's saying, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God lives inside of you. And as you read and study this book, and right, some of it's hard to understand at times, but as you read and you pray and you're in community and you're reading together and you're talking about it, you're saying, God, give me wisdom. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the Scriptures and help you apply it to your life. And sometimes what that means is you'll be facing a decision and you won't have a Bible with you, but almost like a verse will just come to your mind. You ever had that experience? Holy Spirit will just make you think of a verse. Make you think of a principle. Help you see the application. But again, we don't need to be just waiting for some supernatural moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. He can do that. He does do that sometimes. That's not the norm. It's more the exception. 
And when he does it, again, it never contradicts the Scripture. It always lines up with the Scripture. Okay? So if you will walk through these nine points, you will end up making a lot of good decisions. So just a couple more verses that I want us to look at, and we'll be done. Uh, Psalm chapter 119. So back to the middle of the Bible. Psalm chapter 119, one of my favorite verses. It says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So think about it. This would have been ancient times, no flashlights, walking on some little mountain path, a mountain, you know, kind of treacherous path, rocks everywhere, but you've got like a little lantern, maybe a little torch. What's it going to show you? It's going to show you maybe the next one or two, maybe even two and a half steps. But if you're like, I want to see the whole path, what's going to be step three, four, five, six, seven, eight? The only way you can see those steps is you've got to take one step. Guys, the Christian life, it's, it's, it's not just a waiting game. It's, it's a faith game. It's trust me. I'll show you the step you've got to take today, but you want to know the step you've got to take tomorrow? you probably got to wait till tomorrow. Trust me today. Take the next step. And as you're just walking with Him, taking steps, He will give you the light and the understanding and the insight you need when you need it. Okay, so, last verse, 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to flip there, or you can just listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, a little bit of a weird verse. Let me just explain what it means. Paul's saying, when a Christian reads the Bible... It's more than just an intellectual exercise of getting academic knowledge into your brain. It ought to be a worship experience where I'm seeing something true about God and Jesus and I'm enjoying it. I'm delighting in Him. And guys, when you're seeing Jesus and you're worshiping Him and you're liking Him, that's where the transformation and the renewal happens. And so I just want to kind of close back with something I already kind of touched on, but say it maybe a little bit... Deeper. Great decision-making is not about a checklist. Well, I went to that seminar. I took great notes. I have all nine points. I got the verses. I'm going through them, check by check by. Why isn't it working? It's much more like a relationship with your best friend, the lover of your soul. And you're walking hand-in-hand with that person. And you're trusting them. And you're taking some risky steps of faith. Why? Because you trust them. And you're listening to them. And you're honoring them. And your heart really says, I really desire to please this person and honor this person. And if that's your heart attitude, guys, you will probably still, you know, you definitely will. I definitely do still make some stupid decisions. You will miss it sometimes. You're not going to be perfect. But aren't you glad that God doesn't tell us we have to be perfect in our decision making? Because He's already paid the price. If you're in Christ, He's already paid the price for all of your sins, past, present, and future. All the stupid things you're going to do in the future. Now, don't let that become a license to go sin. But you don't need to be a perfectionist. What if I make one wrong decision? What's going to happen? Life will go on. The universe will not fall apart. And probably neither will your life. He already made the biggest decision for you. If you're one of His, He chose you. He died for you. That, that's how much He loved you. 
to sacrifice his own life, his own blood was spilled for you. So that's why I can trust him in these much smaller things, although they seem big to me, to take these risky steps of faith and obey him, even when it seems like it's hurting me, because I know he's the one that loved me. I can rest in his finished work. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you. You're such a good God. We are so unworthy to be your followers. But we're grateful. Thank you for saving us. Lord, I pray anybody hearing this that is not personally trusted in Christ, that they would do that right now. Holy Spirit, that you'd be moving on their heart, convicting them, drawing them to Christ, opening their blind eyes to see the glory of Christ. And I pray for those of us that are already in Christ by grace, that we would fall more in love with Christ. And the thought of decision-making would be almost exciting that we get to use our brains to make decisions that will honor the one that died to save us. And we will be more and more transformed through Bible study and living in community, praying the Holy Spirit into the likeness and image of Christ. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.